0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 10:30 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. It's a blessing to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I'm thankful to be gathered together, and uh, you know, I was I was thinking and and uh, reflecting and having a conversation with someone, and and uh, I think I think it's important to know. Uh, I think this is a, appropriate given the topic even, but uh, why we get up here as, as the men that teach at the congregation, uh, why we take on this responsibility, uh, it's because we care for all of you. We, we care for your spiritual growth. We care about your development. We love you and, and want you to have the information you need to thrive in your life as Christians. We want you to uh, you know, have life. We want you to have uh, joy, and we want you to have peace. And when you're suffering, we want you to have information that will help carry you through that. Because as Jesus said in Matthew 7, those are the things, having his commandments and keeping his commandments during all the storms, that's what's going to build a solid foundation in our life. And so we all care very much uh, when we're, those of us that are on the schedule uh, that teach, um, we care very much about that. And, and that's our mindset when we're standing before you. Uh, so I just wanted to, to uh, say that if we, if we never have said that, just say that out loud, that that's our reasoning and our purpose. It's not to glorify ourselves, not to show, you know, how wonderful we might be or knowledge or uh, that we might have or whatever. That's not the point. The point is sharing information so that we can grow and and we're growing together. And oftentimes if I'm doing a lesson it's usually things that I find interesting, things that are important to me, things that I'm struggling with, things that I'm, uh, that I know would be useful for me so uh, you know, I bring those things and present those to you so because i know that if i'm having a problem or having a something that i need encouragement in that's likely that you all do as well um, and so uh, with that said uh, this morning we're going to talk about the way christ loved um, there's a whole lot of ideas out there going around about jesus uh, right now and there's a, there's a whole lot of people which i intend to talk about this at some point uh, but there's a whole movement going on right now if people uh, examining their faith, which is a good thing, but so many people are leaving the faith. Uh, They're examining things and, and, and reducing uh, these questions down to the point where they say, well, I don't even believe that this is real anymore. I don't know that I've, I believe the scriptures. I don't know that I want the scriptures. So there's an extreme part of that. But there's another side that's kind of in the middle that says, the Bible is not reliable, and the Bible is not a good foundation for your faith, but, but Jesus is which is a very confusing statement because Jesus is the word. And, and so there's this all kinds of misunderstandings that are happening, and they say, look at the life of Jesus, and that's how we ought to act. And usually what the, the parts that people are looking at are only the parts where Jesus forgave people and had compassion, and that's all they want to do, is, and that's their picture of love. But Jesus himself gave the directive to the disciples to love, uh, to love as he loves. In John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give you, And the part, you know, him saying this is a new commandment is kind of interesting because we know that he was questioned by the lawyers and the Pharisees of what are the greatest command or which is the great command in the law. And what did Jesus say? He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's the first great commandment. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang on the law and the prophets, he said in Matthew 22. So it seems here that Jesus is adding a whole new layer when he says, a new commandment I give to you. So there's a whole new dimension to to love and the way to express love. And it's not just loving your neighbor as yourself, but it's loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family in Christ, the way Christ is loved. He says that you love one another because he's speaking directly to the disciples. You love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. So Jesus tells his disciples, pay attention to what I've done to love you and love each other in that same way. So what are the ways that Jesus loved? You know, there's probably a, a lot of things we could talk about, but I've identified six in, in thinking through this. First of all, Jesus started from a place of truth. Jesus was a teacher of that which was true. Um, he brought life through teaching the truth. And in John six sixty three, that's what he says. He says, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus understood the things that he was coming and bringing to the people. His words are life. They're they're a source of spiritual life that he gives to us. And it's something that's very powerful. And it addresses the actual needs that we have when he's dealing with teaching the truth. He's giving us the information we need, not just so that we can feel happy, not so that we can feel encouraged and inspired, but so that we can actually deal with the problem at hand And the problem that we all have that Jesus came to solve is the problem of sin. In John 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. So if you want to be a disciple of Christ, you must continue in his word. And that's what he told the Jews. He says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now these Jews who are very prideful about their lineage and about their um, descendant, the, the fact that they were descendants from Abraham, they said, we're already free. What, what are you talking about? They answered him, we're Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. We, we've never been, we're not slaves. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? When Jesus clarifies and really gets to the heart of what he's talking about, the kind of freedom that he's bringing through his word, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever commits sin is a servant of sin. You're in in bondage to sin if you are committing sin. The information he brings us is to help us break free from that and so that we can be removed from sin, or that sin can be removed from us, rather, and that we can live free lives and have actual life because sin leads us to death. His word is life and leads us to freedom and life. So he brings the life through teaching the truth. Now, another interesting thing to note about Jesus is that his teaching was rooted in authority from God, not in authority from humanity. Uh, Matthew seven twenty-eight through 29 it came to pass, this is the end of the Sermon of the Mount, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Why? Because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were simply copying information and trying to interpret it and pass it on to the people, but they weren't really the source of the information. Jesus, rather, is. He is the source. He's the one who made the law. He's the one who gives the commandments and issues the directives. And so he can speak as a, an authoritative uh, person because he's the one who in- invented the whole thing. And he's the creator of all the, the, the universe. So they were astonished at the way he approached his teaching. Be- and the reason it was so powerful is because it was rooted in the true source that is rooted in God. Not like the Pharisees, not like the scribes and the Jews, they relied on human authority. And he actually points this out earlier in the chapter. He says, "Howbeit, in vain do they worship me, the Pharisees? Why? Why was their worship vain? Why did it mean nothing and why was it empty, the worship they were bringing to God? Because they were teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And in laying aside the commandment of God, they held to the tradition of men. We've talked about the Pharisees before and studied about them and what they were doing. They, they may have had good intentions in trying to keep the law, but in their good intentions, they developed their own methods, their own rules, their own uh, policies on how to carry out the commandments. And they, they set aside the, the actual commandments of God and held more to their own opinions and more, their own ideas and their, their own ideals. Um, and if that's the authority that, that uh, we rest on, that's going to be a very, very uh, weak foundation. Jesus did not have that foundation. He relied on the doctrine and the authority from God that he received. That's why his, tr- his teaching was so powerful. The second thing, he had compassion on people. He had compassion for people that were hurting, people that were suffering. And again, he sees the true need and the true source of our suffering, and that is dealing with the problem of sin in our lives. But he also cared about people's uh, well, he, he cared for that, that part of, of our lives, the fact that we didn't know and sin is dominating our lives and hurting us. And in Matthew 9, 36, he says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He saw the people just kind of wandering around aimlessly without leadership. They didn't know what to do, and, and that filled Christ with compassion for them. He felt sorry for, for for the people. He felt sorry for the Jews and for all of humanity because he knew that we're just going around trying to figure out this problem on our own and not having any success, but he is the source of truth and was bringing a solution to the problem, because he's our true shepherd, the great shepherd, as Peter describes him. Uh, But not only did he care for our spiritual need, the thing we needed the most, as I was saying earlier, he cares for for our physical needs and the distress and the pain that we're experiencing in this life, and here's just one example of many. As he was traveling, uh, it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, It came to pass the day after as he went into a city called Nain. Many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother. So they're carrying this this man uh, out on the city, and here's his mother. She was a widow. She had no one. She was all alone. And much people of the city was with her. And the Lord saw her and had compassion on her and said to her, Weep not. That moved Christ to see this woman in, 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 in suffering and in pain and in grief that her son, her only son, was gone, and she's a widow. That meant something to him. And so in his compassion, not only is it, oh, I feel sorry for you, and you know, we'll pray for you, hope you feel better. He actually did something tangible to help her in this situation. Now, of course, Christ uh, is... is the Almighty God, and, and can produce miracles such as we're about to see, but, but, uh, but that's, there's something to be learned there. Uh, so he came, and he touched the, the bier and they that bear him stood still, and he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. It's a, just a beautiful account there of, of the way Christ saw the needs of the people and and helped fulfill the needs. Um, Not only their spiritual needs, but their physical needs as well. Um, And that's something to note. When you look at when he did a miracle, oftentimes it was coupled with forgiving them of their sins. So it was a total restoration of the person. Um, And it's a picture of what he intends to do for all of us um, in the resurrection. So that's beautiful. But he does that out of a place of compassion. Sometimes people want to stop there. Okay, well, he told people the truth, and he came with this important message, and okay, he had compassion, and he helped people who were suffering, and people who were oppressed, and people who were hurting, and they want to stop there. And they imagine this is their, their picture of Jesus, that he just went around doing all these kinds of things, and that was it. Never told anybody that they were wrong, never, never exposed sin. Everyone's okay. doesn't matter what you're doing. We're all, we can all just you know, get along. You're okay. I'm okay. Just do what you want. I'm here just to forgive, forgive you. But that's not exactly the, the case. And the scriptures bear that out. Is if you just examine the Gospels, you will see that Jesus was very much a person who cared about the truth and cared about helping people align their lives with the truth. He wasn't satisfied to just watch them be in their sins and say, well, it's okay. No, he gave them solutions and gave them directions and gave them instruction to overcome that. Um, here's a couple of examples primarily with his disciples, he, re, he corrected and he gave them correction out of love. It wasn't because he's mean and trying to hurt their feelings and trying to, you know, uh, oppress them and make himself better than them. It's because he knew what they needed to hear, and he cared about them so much that he said what needed to be said. And so there was an instance where uh, we'll see here as they're traveling, they're going to pass through Samaria. Now, if you remember the history between the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. The Samaritans were half, uh, half-breed Jews, and the Jews hated them, and the Samaritans thought that they were, uh, that they had some kind of right um, and should be included, and, and so they hated the Jews, and there was this conflict between these two people, um, and so that's a little bit of the, to explain the tensions that's going on here. In Luke 9:51, it came to pass when, uh, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So on his way to Jerusalem, he's going to stop there at Samaria. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. They were offended. They thought, he doesn't even want to come here. He wants to just go to Jerusalem. They were offended at this. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, so here's Jesus has... His intentions, these Samaritans are misunderstanding Christ's intentions, and they said, we don't want you here. What was the disciples' response? James and John, when they saw this, that made them mad. That made them angry. How dare you? Do you not know who this is? This is the Messiah. How dare you treat him this way? And maybe it's a natural response that they had. Just frustrated that these people aren't going to welcome Christ the Messiah. But here's what they said. Here's here's their plan of how to deal with this. Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, as Elias did? They're thinking, look at these unbelieving, ungrateful people. We should just call down fire and just destroy them, right? That's what we ought to do. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Jesus went on somewhere else, but he corrected the anger that his disciples were feeling. That Their emotions were letting their, their, they were letting their emotions take over their, their, uh, their will and their heart and their spirit. And making them into an evil spirit and saying, let's just kill all these people. Let's just destroy all these people. But Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. And he rebuked them for this. Um, he's not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He really wanted them to be corrected in their thinking and understand Christ is coming to save and restore people. Um, and and he, was, he was very patient with people. And he wanted his disciples to understand that. Uh, this happened in another instance with Peter, when he was led by a human perspective and looking only at the human side of things and not understanding what was at play in the bigger picture that was going on He tried to stop Jesus from being crucified. At least that's what he intended in his mind. In Matthew 16, 21, From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Well, Peter heard that and said, No, no, no. No one's going to touch you, Jesus. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. So Peter was rebuking Christ, saying, No, what are you saying? Far be it from thee, Lord. This this isn't going to happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. So Jesus, he put a stop right there to Peter's thinking and didn't let him go so far in that error in thinking that he could do anything to stop the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Because if he doesn't die, there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there's no crushing of Satan's power. Peter doesn't know this and understand this. And he says, no, 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 you're not going to die. We're not going to let anything happen to you. We're going we're to protect you. And Jesus says, this is, this is from Satan. And your perspective is totally off, Peter. And he took the time to correct. And he took the co- time to be continually teaching them and patient and trying to help them understand the truth. What was another thing that he did? Because a lot of times the disciples, they made a lot of mistakes like this. They had a lot of errors. They did a lot of foolish things and said a lot of foolish things. Well, he forgave. Didn't matter how, how much, uh, didn't matter how many times people did some offense against him, he had a forgiving spirit and wanted them to be forgiven of the wrongs that they had committed. He wanted people's tr- sins to be forgiven, he, and he wanted people to experience that, uh, experience that, because I mean, it's not a very strong human quality, I would say, uh, when you look at the world, and he came to be different and to show people how to, to live differently, even when it was the most deep kinds of hurt that you could probably experience, he was willing to forgive. One of those ways was that he was forsaken by all of his disciples he knew this was going to happen he knew their weakness he knew their human state and condition and their thinking and their fear and he was forsaken by all of them matthew 26 31 through 35 then jesus said to them you shall all ye shall be offended because of me this night for it is written i will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad but after I'm risen again, I'll go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Though all men should be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. And Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto you, That this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should, though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise said all the disciples. And Jesus says, No. No. I know your weakness, and when the time comes, you're going to deny me. And, and the thing is, that's exactly what happened. As soon as they come to, when they, of course, when they arrest him, Peter tries to, to protect him and cut Malchus' ear off. But then when they take him to the council, all the disciples fled and forsook, and Peter kind of followed from a distance. No one was there with him, and he was, he was abandoned, and he was all alone in the hands of, of these enemies. But Jesus knew this was going to be the case. And after his resurrection, he says, when I'm risen again, I'll go before you into Galilee to help remind them and to help bring them back into this mission and to help bring them back into focus because he was forgiving and he knew that they were going to fail. But he didn't want them to fail totally. He didn't want them to just give up and be, you know, Make this error and then be out forever. He wanted them to learn from it, and grow from it, and continue on because of the great love that he had for them. Um, and so it went that he was crucified, as he told them many times, "I'm going to be crucified." But that's not the end. I'm going to be crucified. They didn't understand that, but but he was. He was brutally killed at the hands of the Romans at the urging of the Jews who hated him and said, this, we have no king but Caesar. And to show you the, the level of forgiveness that Jesus had and the attitude and the mindset he had and how clearly he saw the problem and understood our needs and our failures as he hangs there dying and bleeding on the cross. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The disciples of Christ, they had no idea the pain and the hurt and the damage they were causing. And the people that hated him had no clue. But Jesus did. He knew very clearly. And as as he looks at the people that are murdering him, he just says, please forgive them. Because that's what people really needed the most. And again, He saw through His compassion, through His love, through His dedication to teaching people what is reality, what is truth, He came to be a servant to all. And leading up to this, of, of this point of Him dying and being resurrected, He teaches His disciples to be servants to one another, because He was a servant to all. In fact, He said in Matthew 20, 26-28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. The purpose of Jesus was coming into this world not to be served, not to be some great king, not to be some great teacher so He could be lauded and and become this celebrity among the Jews and this great, powerful king in the world. No, but a humble, lowly servant that ultimately was here to give up His life and die. That's what His purpose was. And... He's trying to get this in the minds of his disciples. So leading up to his resurrection, they have, uh, they have the, the communion, and he institutes the communion, and they're there after the supper, and it says this in John 13. So after he had washed, so, so he goes and he takes this garment, and he, he, he puts this garment upon himself, and he fills this basin with water, and he gathers his disciples, and he washes their feet one by one, taking time to wash all their feet, including Judas, the betrayer. And it says, after he washed their feet, after he washed their feet and had taken his garment and he was sat down, he said to them, Know you what I have done unto you? Do you understand? He's asking his disciples, Do you understand what I did? You call me master and lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. He's training and teaching his disciples to be servants. To lower yourself even to the lowliest of jobs to do, the lowliest of tasks, the grossest of things, washing someone's feet. Um, I don't know about your feet, but sometimes my feet are not that pleasant. And uh, I would be embarrassed if somebody washed my feet. Um, and I think that's how the disciples were feeling, very vulnerable. But he says, you need to have that kind of vulnerability with each other. You need to have that kind of level of service to each other that you're willing to get down to the lowliest position and help each other uh, and serve one another, just as I have done for you. That's what he wanted for his disciples. And ultimately, as we read, his service was all in focus of him giving his life as a ransom for many. And we read uh, in the scriptures that this was the greatest example that he could give us of how to love one another. John ten ten to 11, the thief, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Speaking of Satan, but I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Satan wanted to take people's lives and consume it for himself. Jesus wanted to give his life so that so that we could have life ourselves. John 15, he says, repeating this commandment that we started with, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus had such great love for his disciples and for the people that would become his disciples, that he laid down his life. These are the six things that that Jesus did and teaching his disciples how to love. And there's so much for us to learn in this, in this example. And if we truly are disciples of Christ, this directive wasn't just to those men, that he, those men and women that were with him as he traveled around and he was t- training and teaching them. This is for you and for me. If we're disciples of Jesus, this is the exact model that we need to follow and understand. This is what we need to know about who Jesus was, what he did, and why he did it. And do those very things and reflect Christ in our life. So, how can we carry out this commandment? Loving one another as Christ has loved us. Well, I think do those very things that Jesus himself did for the people around him. We should bring life to people through the word of God. Bring life to people, bring freedom through teaching and sharing the scriptures, the word of God. That's the source. Regardless of what popular ideas are going to take off in the world, and, and regardless of what people might say out in the world, the Bible is absolutely the source of life for us. The Bible absolutely is the best foundation you could ever have in your life. It's the only foundation that's going to carry you through all the troubles in your life. Time and time again, that's been proven out to me in my own life. And so this is the only thing, this is the only message that's going to help people. Sharing memes, sharing little quotes and inspirational things on Facebook, that's not going to change people's lives. Sharing the scriptures, that's what will change people's lives. Sharing your life story and your experiences, those have their place, and those can be encouraging to people. You can help reach people who are going through something similar. But, but if I share my story with someone, that's not going to save someone's soul. The message of Christ is what will save their soul because he's the one is, whose blood will wash them. And so those things have their place, don't get me wrong, but let's not, let's not put so much emphasis on our human thinking and, us, and humans as the source of salvation rather than the scriptures, something that comes from God. Give people what they really, truly need, and that is the freedom from sin. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, able to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, would give them repentance to acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. People are ensnared in sin, held captive, and they're slaves to Satan. And those of us who have been made free from that slavery, we should be so compelled to share that truth with other people and say, look, this is how you can be set free. The same way Jesus did. The truth shall make you free. And that's what we're doing as we carry out the message to people. We see people that are hurting and are in bondage and we want to help make them free and invite them into the joy that we get to experience in Christ. Bring life and freedom to people and edify people through the truth, not through the doctrines of men. Um, you know, David and I were talking this morning about the way people latch on to certain uh, preachers and teachers that are popular in this mainstream or mainline type thing. And, and you see these, these mega churches and they treat it like a business. And people are so inspired and so oh, enamored by, look how wonderful their building is. Look how wonderful. It must be true because these, these guys are rich. And people are so consumed by looking at these human things and thinking that that's what's going to help change people's lives, and it's not. Those are the doctrines and commandments of men, and that's not what people need. What people need in the body of Christ, what you and I need in the body of Christ is the truth to help build us up. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15, big emphasis is put in the letters of Paul and in the teachings of the Scriptures. For the church, we need to edify and build each other up That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive let's not be the kind of people who are ignorant and out of that ignorance allow ourselves to be carried off by any spiritual thing that somebody says any wonderful thing somebody tells us and makes us feel good let's not be guided by that let's be guided by the scriptures the solid foundation that's going to anchor us to reality, that's going to help us see things clearly, going to help us see our own problems clearly, and how to help other people clearly. He says, but, don't be tossed about, but speaking the truth in love may grow up to him all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speak the truth. And the big important emphasis is do it out of love. Don't just go around with the cl- treating the truth like a club that you can beat other people with and say, look, at, we've got the truth that's not going to change people's lives. Speak the truth in love. That's going to change people's lives. Give people, give the church, the members of the body of Christ what we really need, the truth. Like Jesus did, have compassion for each other. There's a lot of people that are hurting from our congregation right now. There's a lot of people going through, there's some of you going through things that you're not, willing to share very you know out loud you're not trying to make a big deal about it you're just trying to quietly go through it on your own um, and you know that you're not alone I know that but there's some that it's a little more it's a little dif- more difficult to hide like the things that Zach is, and his family have been going through um, and his health declining there's a lot of people that are that just are in pain or in some kind of grief or in some kind of turmoil, or in some kind of frustration, whether it's their relationships, or whether it's their finances, or whether it's their, their, um, you know, their, their fears about their parenting, or their health, or whatever. There's just a whole lot of uh, things that, that are burdens that people are bearing. But we ought to have compassion for each other. Um, You know, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 12. The image that the Bible gives us as as being Christians and members of the body of Christ is that we are deeply connected to each other and we are members of one another. We're not just on this isolated journey going along on our own trying to figure it out. We're part of a family that should be intertwined and tight-knit to where we can be vulnerable with each other and love each other and look at each other's needs and go, wow, and have compassion on, on each other. 1 Corinthians 12, he says that there should be no schism in the body. We're not this divided mass just kind of going along in the same trajectory. We're a united body. But that the members should have the same care one for another. Look out for each other and have the same care towards each other. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And he goes on and says, if, if one rejoice, everyone rejoices with it. It's important that we have compassion for each other and see that people are hurting and walk with each other in that pain and and a lot of times the pain that you're going through it does affect everyone else in one way or another and everyone can feel it and what you need to know is that we're here for you and you're not suffering alone and we really mean that you're not suffering alone so don't try to isolate yourself in your pain Let us help and let us be there even just to listen and to pray. If we don't have this kind of compassion for each other, what are we even doing? If we don't have that level of care and interest in each other's lives, we're spinning our wheels. We're wasting our time. John says in John 3.17, But whoso has this world good and sees his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how can the love of God dwell in that person? It's not just about material things. If we have money and we see somebody doesn't have money and they need money and we decide, nah, we're not going to help them. But it's just in any regard. How can we not look out for the brothers and sisters in 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 our family? And go, wow, they really need help with that. And just go, eh. And not, not just be filled with such compassion. that We want to go and help them the way Jesus did. He saw people that were hurting, and he didn't just go, oh, we'll pray for you and hope, hope it works out. No, he was there, and he went, he went into their pain and helped try to bring some kind of relief to that. And serve them and, and what they needed in those moments. Have compassion for each other. And let that compassion help, help us have a good perspective. And don't look at a brother and sister's pain or their suffering or their faults that they're going through as an opportunity to gossip, as an opportunity to uh, ridicule them, or as an opportunity to uh, make them feel less than. Look at it as an opportunity to help them bear a burden, because that's our responsibility as family. Help each other. And when we see those faults crop up in each other and the things that are kind of going, going off the rails a little bit, we need to be vulnerable enough with each other and close enough with each other and open enough to each other that we can come to one another and provide correction for those things that are amiss in our lives out of love. And it has to be rooted in love. Because true love, if we really love each other, we're going to, we're going to bring correction into each other's lives. Proverbs 27. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If we go along and pretend that when we see somebody doing something wrong and we just pretend that it's all okay and, oh, you can do, and we're just going to ignore it and not going to say anything, and we know that this could be a potential thing for their life, that's the kisses of an enemy and they're deceitful because we're not really telling people what they need to hear. And it's not true love if we don't, out of care and out of, out of a desire to help them, if we see our brother and sister on a path of sin that's, and don't say anything, that's not true love. True love helps to bring correction. And it has to be with the right goal in mind. Not just so that we can prove, oh, I was right, or like I said, an opportunity to gossip or help somebody feel down, but an opportunity to help someone continue to be free in Christ and to grow in Christ. So we have to have the right goal. Galatians 6, 1-2 Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Help people in the spirit of meekness. Considering your own self, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Be careful how you offer correction to people and how you receive correction. Be open to it. And in either case... Make sure that it's motivated by love and concern for spiritual soundness. Because that's what our family in Christ needs. It's not okay to let, it's not okay to let our, if if there's a spiritual sickness, a spiritual cancer, it's not okay to just be like, meh, just ignore it. We need to do something and, and help each other and do it carefully. Because the whole goal is restoration. The whole goal is wholeness. The whole goal is for people to be well again not so we can have some kind of, you know, puffed up attitude about people's sins. And with that, when people commit sins, we ought to be willing to forgive one another. And that, that needs to be, that we need to truly forgive each other and, and those that are working to change their lives and working to repent. Because sometimes people make a mistake and people around them never let them move past that. Never let them move on. It's like, okay, like if a person went through this horrible thing and they made wrong decisions and people came along and tried to help them and now they're changing the course of their life and they're trying to do better, let them move on. Let them grow. Don't hold that over their head forever. Paul said that in, in the examples that we see of what was going on at Corinth. There was guys that are sleeping with their stepmoms. There was guys there committing the kind of fornication, he says in 1 Corinthians, he says the kind of fornication and sins that not even the, uh, the heathens are doing. Not even the Gentiles who don't know God, they're not even committing such horrible acts. But people in the church at Corinth were. And he said, that's a shame. And he, he gave them instruction and said, if there's a brother among you who's a fornicator or an extortioner or these other types of sins, he gave them instruction on how to help them. He said, pray for that one to be delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his soul would be saved. And he says, don't even eat with such a person. Cast them out from among you if they're a brother or sister in Christ and they're committing sin with the goal of bringing them back in and helping them change. And it appears that that's what the church at Corinth did. And so in Second Corinthians, we see Paul explaining to them this process of forgiving one another. In 2 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6, he says, sufficient to such a man's punishment, or sufficient to such a man is this punishment that which was inflicted of many. So it was carried out by the, by the entire body there at Corinth, the, the entire congregation. And he says, that is a lot to take for this man. It's sufficient punishment for him to experience this disconnect from everyone. So, contrawise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, because it seems like the person corrected the problem. They went to lengths to prove that they had changed this problem. And he says, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, unless perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. It's possible to make people suffer too much in, their, in, in this process of, of repentance and forgiveness, and that could lead to somebody being just completely broken through this process. And he says, don't go that far. Forgive them and comfort them, help them, lift them back up again so that they're not overtaken with too much sorrow. He says, wherefore, I beg you that you would confirm your love towards that man. Confirm your love to him. Why? For this, for this end that I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you, ob- whether you be it obedient in all things. And he says, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, I forgave it in the person of Christ. Why? Why is it so important for them to confirm their love to this one that's repented, this one that's trying to change, not to hold it over their head forever, but let them grow and let them move on past this once they've dealt with the issue and confirming your love towards Him? He says in verse 11, "...unless Satan should get an advantage of us who are not ignorant of his devices." Not letting people grow, holding something over their head forever, and not letting them truly be forgiven when Christ has forgiven them, that's a tactic of Satan. And that will produce bitterness, that will produce resentment, and that will destroy the body of Christ. We have to do our best to forgive people who are forgiven. And if we forgive someone, we mean it. And let them move on. Ephesians four thirty-one 31-32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, we ought to be very diligent. And with all malice, we, we should hate those things so much that we put them away, bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. They should have no part of us and, and who we are and what we're about. But instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you remember that example of Jesus and forgive as He forgave. Even if it's something that someone has done to hurt you, do your best to to have compassion and understanding that they may have done it in total ignorance and forgive them and ask for God to forgive them. We should do these things and we should care so much about each other that we just are looking out as, as servants the way Jesus was a servant. Galatians three or five thirteen. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You've been called into freedom. And sometimes, when we have freedom, we think that we can do a lot of things that that we can't. <laughs> we start to take advantage of that, and we start to abuse that that privilege and that power. He says, "We've been called into spiritual freedom. Don't use that liberty for an occasion to the flesh." to look out for your needs and get what you want and take advantage of people. But he says, you know what? By love, because of love, serve each other. Don't be a person who looks to to having this spiritual freedom and this forgiveness as a way to get something for yourself. Look at it as a way to be able to help and give other people what they need. 1 Corinthians 10.33. Paul's life was an example of this. And he says, even as I please all men in all things... Not looking for my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul's mindset was not, what can I get out of this? It was, what can other people get out of this? And the whole goal was so that they could be saved. And so our service should be toward each other in that mindset. We're serving each other with the goal of each other's salvation, of each other's liberty, of each other's uh, restoration, and other suffering. And It's not just about us when we're part of a family and a part of a body. It's about each other. And we should care so deeply about each other that we're willing to give up our own selves on behalf of each other. And we often imagine that we, we, we might, our mind might go to, oh, if somebody came in and they had a gun, I'm going to stand in front of them and take the bullet for other people. And we should have that kind of, uh, that kind of valor, I think. We should have that kind of dedication to protect other people and our families and our family in Christ. But it's much more than that. It's not just in the moments of danger. And we're constantly in the danger of sin. And the roaring lion walks about who, whom he may devour. But oftentimes, we don't stand in front of the lion for, for other people. Oftentimes, in the day-to-day life, we just kind of go on and we forget about people and we, we're, just, we're not giving up our lives for each other. But Jesus said, that "That's what we ought to do. That's the example He gave us." First John three sixteen. Hereby we perceive the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That could mean death, but it, I think, more often than not, it just means giving up our own selves and our own attention to ourselves and our own. Not that we shouldn't take care of ourselves. It's not what I mean, but. Stop being so self-centered and start being others-centered. Start looking out for other people. John fifteen twelve 12-13, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love, hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Paul talked about this. This is the attitude that Paul had of laying down his own life on behalf of other people, and he did it in service. He did it by giving his all. He was all in and helping other people be saved. And he expressed it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. That's how we can lay down our lives for each other. There's another example. Paul commended Aquila and Priscilla who were faithful servants and helped labor with him. And he says, they have laid down their own net on my behalf. And we can go that far and help our family out in Christ and be that, have that kind of relationship and love for each other, be willing to lay down your life for one another. Sometimes that means giving up opinions. Sometimes that means giving up our preferences. Sometimes that means uh, going out of our way to do something for someone, taking on an inconvenience, spending a little extra time when you're tired and you're weary, taking the time to do it anyway or getting up a little earlier and taking that burden on so that we can help ease the burdens of others. That's how we can lay down our lives for each other. Because ultimately this is all a reflection of our love for God. How we treat each other is a picture of if we love God and how we love God. Because Jesus did these things, gives life and the truth he had compassion, he gave correction, he forgave people, he was a servant, and he laid down his life. And this is the exact thing that he wants us to embody because it's a reflection, again, of our love for God. First, First John 3, 10-11. In this, the children of God are known. How do you know if people are a child of God or not? In this, the children of God are known, are made manifest. And the children of the devil. Here's how we can decipher between the two. And here's a litmus test for ourselves. How do I know if I'm a servant of God or a servant of the devil? Whoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth his brother. If we're not doing righteousness and we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, John says that that puts us in the category of being children of the devil. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So if we are faithful to the commandment of God and we say, okay, He said to love one another, I'm going to obey that commandment, and I'm going to truly love one another. You're doing these two things that He asked us to do. That makes us children of God. That makes us children of righteousness because we're submitting ourselves to God's will, and we're doing it from the heart, not just because we've been commanded, but because we want to do those things. And that's a reflection of our love for God. He says in, in 1 John 4, He says, if a man cannot love his brother who he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? That's a good question. If we're here with each other today, right now, in this life, and we can't do the things that Christ did and the ways that he served us, we can't do that for each other in this life, I mean, how is it possible for us to say that we love God? We haven't even seen him. We have seen each other. So we need to carry out and embody these things in our life for one another. And, and if we do this, if we do this for each other, it will make such, such an amazing impact in our lives, but it's, it's going to make to where people cannot help but see the growth that's happening and, and the changes in you and the relationships that we have. And, and I want to commend us because I think that we, we definitely are On our way to being this even more and more like all the time being this kind of people and abounding in these things and i i'm so proud of that and i'm so happy uh, about that the trajectory that we're on together as a congregation is is wonderful and it's a tremendous blessing in our lives Uh, but one last thing that jesus said about this as we come back to where we started in john 13 34 he says a new commandment i give you that you love one another as i have loved you that you also love one another and what's the outcome? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You truly want to be a disciple of Christ? You truly want to show people that you're a disciple of Christ? Em- embody the things that Jesus did in how he loved and, sh- and do that for one another. Because it's the people in this room, it's the people that are part of the family of Christ, it's the people that, that you know, and there's some that are not here, of course, Uh, It's the people that that gather together here as a family that care about one another, and that's the starting point. If you want to know where to start, start here. Start in this room. Love each other as Christ has loved us. And so I hope that as we've considered this this verse and the meaning uh, packed into it, there's so much more we could have talked about, I'm sure. Uh, But I, I hope that and pray that we can be encouraged to have the same kind of care, same kind of fervent love for one another, the unfeigned, and that means it's not fake, it's a true and deep love for one another. I hope that we can exemplify that more and more, because how can we expect to love God if we're not able to love His children? Uh, I commend the lesson to you this morning, and I pray that if you're here today and you're hearing uh, this, and it's convicting, And there's things about this that are convicting to me. And if you feel like you need the prayers of the family of Christ, you you feel you need to be uplifted, we're here with compassion to receive you, to help you, to pray with you, uh, pray with you to the Father, and are here ongoing as a resource for you to grow and thrive in your life. And we truly, truly mean that. So don't hesitate to come forward uh, here in a moment. And if you're new to these ideas and these principles and the teaching of the Scriptures, the starting point for us to abide in Christ and to be in Him is to hear His commandments and, and one of those commandments is to truly be free from our sins, we must be baptized into Christ. We must follow what, what He has asked us to, to do and let Him cleanse us and wash us and make us one with the Father so that then we can be in unity and fellowship with Him and with the family of Christ, and truly experience the love that He has for us. So if if there's anyone here that has a need, please do not be ashamed to come forward as we stand and we sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.